Last week, we celebrated Easter. We remembered the resurrection and we worshiped a Savior who defeated sin, conquered death, and changed our eternity forever. Now, the work begins. For the miracle of Easter was never meant to be kept secret. It was never meant to be quiet. Instead, it was meant to change hearts and lead people to Jesus. Easter was the beginning of our calling, a mission to share the love of Christ, this unimaginable hope with the world. For even now, the echoes of the resurrection remind us our work is not finished. For our mandate remains the same, to share the hope of Jesus and the life-changing power of the resurrection to the ends of the earth. This is the work of Easter. Good morning. All right, good to see you all today. How about those baptisms this morning, huh? Let's celebrate again what God is doing. It's so encouraging to see what God is doing in the hearts and lives of others. It's good to be with you all this morning. Welcome again to those of you who are joining us online in the room. Come on, let's welcome those who are joining online this morning. Many different households joining us. Good to see you all here. And special shout out to the balcony. How you guys doing up there today? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is going to be a rough morning. Come on, guys. How you guys doing up there? All right. All right. Well, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to have the opportunity to preach this morning. I feel honored and it's really grateful for Phil and his leadership and grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this team. My family and I, we came here back in September of last year to join the team as the executive pastor of ministries, which means I help lead our ministry staff team, lead our many different ministries here at the church, uh, from our lay-led to our main ministries, and just really excited uh, for what God is doing here. God is doing some incredible things through the ministries right here at First Baptist. So I'm really proud of our team here, but what I'm most proud of is my family. We have a picture we can throw up on the screen. Oh. There they are. So uh, yeah, this, is, this photo is from back in September. This was us in the airport on our way to come see you guys for the first time. So kind of a cool beginning to a story that God is writing. So just so grateful. It's my wife, Kathy, and our two kids. And we are just really honored and excited to be here. So I don't know how you follow a powerful weekend like last weekend. I mean, what a special time of remembrance and celebration. I hope you and your family had a great Easter weekend and a great week. But we talk about this a lot, like Easter Sunday is the, the Super Bowl Sunday of the church calendar. I mean, it feels that way. I mean, we, we go all out. We dress up, right? Because it's good to see you back in your casual clothes this morning. <laughs> you didn't try as hard today, did you? Uh, we had donuts. All right, I think we have some pictures we can throw up on the screen of that because man, look at that. 1,800 donuts is what we ordered. There was 50 left. 
Somebody did the math, okay, at 250 calories per donut. Do you realize you ate almost half a million calories last weekend? So after the service today, we'll be running the trails if you'd like to join us. But decorations, we had an LED wall, uh, photo stations, golf carts. The golf carts were a huge hit. How many of you took a ride in the golf cart last weekend? Yeah, you're still here. That's great. Um, I heard a story from Cindy Thornton that Emerson, Pastor Emerson, drove a little too fast over one of the bumps, and she was hanging on for dear life. So <laughs> maybe we'll make those a, a regular. There is only one speed in a golf cart. Come on, full speed, pedal to the metal. Uh, incredible music, a powerful message, but we went all out last weekend. So all out celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And then there's a Sunday after Easter today. Normal. And normal can sometimes feel normal. And I tried to fight the normal, like, man, can we get some donuts again? But ran into some roadblocks there. We thought we were gonna have the LED wall for another week, but didn't work out. So this is it, a normal Sunday. We spent time remembering on Good Friday, celebrating on Easter Sunday. The Super Bowl is over, Jesus wins. So now what? So now what? And I began to wonder this week, I wonder if that's how the disciples felt after Jesus ascended. Do you think they just went back to the same old, same old, like Matthew just went back to tax collecting to make up for some lost wages? Or Simon Peter and Andrew like pulled the boat out of storage and whipped up a website and some business cards and started a new fishing business? Just back to normal, and I think we'll discover that life was anything but normal. If you have your Bibles with you today, go ahead and pull those out. You can pull out your phone app, and we'll be looking at a number of different scripture passages, but we're going to start in the Gospel of Matthew. This will be the foundation for today's message. You saw it on the screen in the video. We have our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'll just call them portraits of Jesus or different vantage points into the life of Jesus. And Matthew is one of the synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic gospels, similar in content, order, and wording, a little bit different than John. But we're gonna start in a passage referred to as the Great Commission. And in Matthew 28, where, where Jesus just shares his famous last words before he ascends into heaven. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that's in the Gospel of Matthew. And when Jesus gives that great commission, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark, remember Mark, one of the synoptic Gospels, a similar account of the same event. After that, it, it says a little bit more. Mark 16, 19, and 20. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere 
And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So here we see the disciples were given a mission and they carried it out. And if we were to read on and do a study of the early church in Acts and read on in Acts, we would see that life was anything but normal in carrying out the mission. And that's the title of today's message, The Mission. And our big idea is really simple. You have been called to the mission. Let's pray as we get started. God, I pray that you give me clarity as I share from your word this morning. I pray that you would have, uh, help us to open our ears to receive what you have for us today. That we would walk out of here different than how we came in. That you would do a work in our hearts. We give you this time now in your name, amen. We're gonna play a game this morning because who says you can't have fun in church? Huh, this isn't your grandma's church. And if your grandma goes here, she's one cool grandma. Lean over to grandma and say, grandma, you're cool. All right? But we're gonna have a little bit of fun, all right? We're gonna put five different mission statements up on the screen and your goal, without using the internet, all right, is to guess which is the correct mission statement of First Baptist Church. We're gonna take a vote here in a second, all right? All right, here we go. First one. Our mission is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. What do you think of that one? Pretty good, huh? Number two, to bring the awesome life of Christ to people in a lost and broken world. Number three, we exist to glorify God by equipping believers to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number four, we as a church exist to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. This fifth one, man. We exist to equip people to love God and win at pickleball. <laughs> Is that like your vote? Are you getting real excited about that one? Um, so ready on three, two, one, vote. Raise up your hand with which number you think it is. Three, two, one, go. All right. Whew. All right, you passed the test. That's great. Oh, that's encouraging. Phil, if you're watching, we're, we're in a good spot here. Um, so our church has a mission, a mission based on the Great Commission. We exist to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the truth is not so much that our church has a mission, but that the mission that Jesus gave us, the mission has a church, us, the big C church. And as believers, uh, think about what would happen if like, we fully embraced the mission, fully embraced it in our community, fully embraced it in our lives, in our families, uh, or in our nation, in our world. And today we're gonna talk about uh, a calling God has placed on your life, that you were not created by accident. God has a purpose and plan for your life, and as you saw last week in the video on Easter when the alarm clock went off, well, the alarm clock and the empty tomb are enough empirical evidence that God is not done with you yet. He has a purpose for you in your life and your believer in Jesus. I want you to lean in and hear this again, that you have been called to the mission. And we're gonna explore this morning what it means to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're what? We're on a mission. We're what? Let's participate a little bit. We're, again, we're what? That's right. And to carry out the mission, we first need to love God. Let's look at Mark 12. If you want to turn there, you can. We'll have it on the screen, I believe. One of the teachers of the law 
came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. What's he gonna say? (laughs) You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he had answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So when we think about what it means to love God, we've got to start very foundational, okay? Because to love God, you have to know him. Just basic level, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? Do you have a, you have a testimony like we heard this morning? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus? And that may be your first step today. Maybe you heard what somebody was saying and, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. Maybe the last couple weeks, maybe when Davy was here or, or Easter Sunday, you felt God tugging on your heart that you have to have a relationship with Jesus, because you can't truly love God unless you know him. You have to have a relationship with him, and you can do that today. We can, we can pray after the service. You can say a prayer right from your seat, and t- today could be the beginning of your story that God is writing in your life, and so uh, you have to know him. So to love God, you have to know him. That's primary, and then to love God is to put him first. Again, from that passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We refer to this as a, a vertical love in church world, our love with God. And I was thinking back to like six years ago, my wife and I went through a real challenging season in our marriage. Like it was, it was a three months where we were just going different directions in terms of like our work schedules were not aligning. She was working a lot of evenings. I was busy at the church. And so for three months, we were just drifting. And as we, we got through that season, by God's grace, and then in the midst of that, though, realized that our love for God wasn't what it needed to be. And that's foundational. Because when we live for Jesus, we live better for each other. Relationships have to start with that vertical love first. And in fact, most of life's problems come from a misdirected love. We put other things before our love for God. Career, relationships, hobbies, money, houses, cars, the list could go on. But every other love of life must stem from our vertical love for God. And when we get this wrong, we see lack of fulfillment and just brokenness all around us in our world today. Uh, a passage that points to that, Romans 1.25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Isn't that the truth of our world today? Worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. 
So we're gonna breeze through this real quick as we think about our love for God, what it means to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's gonna be a number of passages. I'm gonna breeze through it. Don't feel like you have to turn to them all. Your Bible will be, like, be on fire. You'll be turning so fast. All right, so we see in scripture that the heart is central to loving God. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Purity of heart is important for those who love God and wish to worship him. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false God. Purity of heart is essential for those who want to see God. In this passage right here, every time I'm feeling temptation in my life, this verse pops into my head and I encourage you to memorize it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Anytime you're feeling tempted, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Keep your mind on God, keep your heart on him. And if the heart relates to the will, the soul or spirit relates to the emotions. Our soul is like the seat of our emotional activity. And we see this with Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was sorrowful and troubled when he states in Matthew 26, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then our minds. Love the Lord our God with all of our mind and our, our, our intellect. The mind is a seat of human consciousness, thought and desires. The minds of believers must be shaped by the knowledge and love of God. Romans 12, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So in view of God's mercy... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or I love how one theologian says it. The underlying assumption is that this redemptive metamorphosis of the mind has been inaugurated by God's mercy. And then lastly, the strength brings together the heart, mind, and soul. To love God with all your strength means to love him with your whole being, which involves your whole self, body, and soul. So to love God is to put him first. To love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So think about this. Do, do you want to grow in your love for God? You have to, to know him and put him first in your life. And one way to do that is through spending time in his word. I want to read this to you. I thought this was really interesting. Recently heard about a Center for Bible Engagement survey, and the organization surveyed over 100,000 people and what their daily habits and life was like uh, in the Bible, and here's what they found. If you're in the word of God one time per week, it has a negligible effect on some very key areas of your life. Two times per week, negligible effect. Three times per week, negligible effect. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture at least four times a week, it spikes off the charts. Now you would think it would be gradual, one time, two times, three times, no. One, two, three, flat line, four times off the charts. And here's what happens at four times per week. Feeling lonely drops 30%. Anger issues drops 31%. Bitterness in relationships, especially marriages, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 62%. Sexual issues such as pornography dropped 59%. 
feeling distant from God and spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. And if you're dealing with any of those things, I just wanna ask you, how, how much are you in the word of God? How much are you spending time with him in his word? Because is reading your Bible one time a week good? Yeah, it's better than nothing. But it might not be enough to change us. And there's, there's nothing magic about four times a week. <laughs> I encourage you to be in God's word as much as possible. But we grow in our love for God when we spend time with him and seek to know him through his word. Because we're what? We're on a mission, all right? So if we truly love God, we love what God loves. And God loves people. Turn with me, if you could, to Matthew chapter nine, verses nine through 13 is where we're gonna look. And this is the calling of Matthew. There's many different passages in scripture we could point to about how God loves people. It might be untraditional uh, to look at Matthew nine, but I think it'll, it'll help us understand um, Jesus more clearly. So the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Back in the 90s, you may remember it, there was a movie called Patch Adams. How many of you remember Patch Adams? Such a great movie. Uh, true story of a heroic man played by the character of Robin Williams, uh, who was determined to become a medical doctor because he enjoyed helping people. He was driven to enhance their quality of life, so he would do funny, silly things. He'd wear a little red nose and make people laugh, and because he, he really believed that if you treated both the person and the disease, you would win no matter what the outcome was. But he was faced with a lot of opposition. If you remember from the movie, uh, a lot of the, the deans of the medical university and the doctors, they didn't really appreciate his approach, and he was in danger of getting kicked out of the school because he wasn't taking the medical profession seriously enough. And there's one scene in the movie where he asks a profound question. He says, what's the difference between a scientist and a doctor. He's walking next to his friend, and his friend's like, people. The difference between a scientist and a doctor is people. See, a scientist is all about the disease. The doctor is about the whole person. And so I started to think about that in terms of ministry life, and I thought, man, what's, what's the difference between a theologian and a pastor? Same thing, People. And it's not to diminish the work of scientists or doctors or, or, or theologians, and, and, but a theologian takes the sentence structure, the Greek, and they break it down and they're studying the word in depth in that way to then help, uh, what's a pastor do? It helps apply the scripture to the lives of people. And then take it a little further, what's the difference between the Pharisees and Jesus? Again, people. See, the Pharisees were about keeping the law, and Jesus is about people. 
And example A being that his mission was to fulfill God's plan in saving the lost. The parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin show that he goes after those who are lost. And, and the story of the prodigal son shows that God will always welcome with open arms those who come to him with a repentant heart. See, we have to understand Jesus is very different. And in his time, religious leaders catered to the self-righteous and Jesus clashes with the Pharisees about true righteousness, warning the disciples about the dangers of self-righteousness, helping them understand that without him, they could do nothing. And in Matthew 23, many times Jesus condemns the Pharisees for sticking to their legalistic traditions to make themselves look better. So, is Jesus himself a religious leader? Yes, absolutely, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher, but he didn't cater to the self-righteous. Again, Jesus is different. He went to the outcasts, he went to the down and out. He went to those society had cast aside. He sought out and saved the woman at the well and the Samaritans in her town and the sinful woman with the alabaster jar. See, here's the thing, I've heard it said before. If you really want to know somebody, don't just listen to what they say, watch what they do. Look again, Matthew chapter nine. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, which is kind of humorous, if we just pause here for a second, that they, why are they always asking the disciples? You know, like they're too afraid to come up and just talk to Jesus. But they say this, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So mercy, reaching people. And that's why we proclaim the gospel, the good news. God desires us more, more, more than sacrifice, more, more than our religious activity, okay? So here again, Jesus is seen eating with tax collectors and sinners, the outcasts. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And people were paying very close attention to who Jesus was hanging out with. And some thought Jesus shouldn't be bothered with people like that. But Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God is open to you. And maybe you need to hear that this morning, that maybe everybody in your life is saying you're too far gone, you're too messed up, and God doesn't want anything to do with you. Well, the kingdom of God is open to you. People were, people were seeing how Jesus was reacting. They were watching him. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Do you realize it's not like, I mean, we write songs about it, things like, Jesus, friend of sinners, I forget how that goes. You know, we write songs about it, and it, at the time it was like, not a compliment. It's meant to be an insult, to diminish Jesus. And now it's a compliment to us today because we're trying to be more and more like Jesus, and as I was preparing uh, for this message, I often take notes in my Bible, and in uh, Matthew chapter nine, I had written this in the margin, I'm gonna turn it sideways so I can read it. A couple thoughts that I was thinking about as I read this passage. If you don't have any friends who are sinners, you need to make some new friends. And if I don't have friendships, 
that make religious people uncomfortable, then I may not be on mission with Jesus. Doesn't mean I'm not. But it's a question I ask myself to ponder and think about because that's what we see here in this passage. Jesus hung out with sinners. Do we? We'll be like, of course I do. Everybody's a sinner. But it's interesting to note, though, that these people were like obvious sinners. Obvious sinners. I mean, think about even the disciples, the people Jesus recruits to carry on uh, the mission. He doesn't go to the seminary to pick them out. They don't all have master's degrees or doctorates. No, he picks fishermen. And they might have been some rough dudes. He picks a tax collector, a cheat, someone that most everybody hated. So when Jesus was choosing those he wished to carry on his ministry, he didn't go to the religious elite. He went to the outcasts, the down and out. He went to those society he had cast aside, the misfits. And if you, you want to know somebody, again, don't just listen to what they say. Watch what they do. And, and Jesus is different. Jesus loves sinners and Jesus loves people. If we truly love God, we love what God loves and God loves people. And the question today is, hey, do you love people? Do you love people who are far from God? Because in order to carry out the mission, we have to love people too. People who may be very different from us because we're on a mission. We're what? Come on. All right. And when we love God and love people, we unlock the potential to influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back to our foundational passage, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in order to influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to go. Because followers of Jesus follow Jesus and Jesus is on a mission to seek and save the lost. So therefore, spiritual maturity and growth are action-oriented. We go. And there's gotta be some offense in our lives. And sometimes it's really easy in our culture and society today, isn't it, just to play defense? I mean, remember years ago, um, how, many, how many weeks, uh, you know, it, or how many times in a week did you go to church, remember? It's like Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night, nothing wrong with that, but sometimes the mindset was kind of like, man, if we could just keep people in church all the time with programs and events and services, man, then we wouldn't have to engage with the world around us and they'll, they'll stay out of sin and out of trouble and all that kind of stuff. And, but it, like it's so easy to insulate ourselves. We have Christian school, we have church groups and programs, we have Bible studies, and then, hey, when we're not doing that, let's just hang out with church people all the time. And the, now listen, we don't know each other very well, but those are all great things. Hear me out, those are all great things. I do them myself. Kathy and I, we send our kids to ECA. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I highly recommend, have you looked at our world today? I highly recommend you check in, check out ECA and, and sending your kids there. John and the whole team there, we have an incredible team at ECA making a difference. And so, those are all great things. And I'm not even saying lost people don't, don't show up at church. We're influencing the, our world uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ right here through the many different ministries, programs, and events, without a doubt. People are giving their lives to Jesus right here at FBC. 
But we have to understand, what I'm trying to say is we, we can't hide out in a bunker somewhere. We could end up insulating ourselves so much that we lose opportunities and the ability to engage with the world around us, to engage with lost people. Now, do we need to be careful? Absolutely. We just talked about what it meant to keep our hearts pure. But in order to have impact, we have to go. In order to have impact, we have to have contact. We have to engage with lost people. I haven't always been great about this in my own life. I could go through all the different excuses. It's not worth our time today. Uh, but years back, I decided, all right, we're gonna start being a little bit more intentional. Uh, intentional steps towards building relationships with people, uh, people who didn't yet know Jesus. I didn't go out of my way. I just started being intentional around the people God has placed in my life, everywhere I went, environments I found myself in, uh, the people I saw every day. And just as an encouragement, I'm going to share a, a few stories with you. So uh, there's, there's pluses and minuses to being a pastor or a man of the cloth, as Al from the music store used to call me. He used to be a worship pastor years ago. Every time I walk into the music store, hey, it's the man of the cloth, he's back. <laughs> Thanks, Al, appreciate that. Um, so, but there's pluses and minuses. When you, when you have a conversation with people, they, usually you say your name and all that. What's one of, I don't know why it is, but one of the things that is a follow-up question. What do you do? <laughs> Where do you work? And uh, the benefit, right, I, I say I'm a pastor, and it brings the conversation to a spiritual point like right away. We can have a spiritual conversation. We can dive deep almost right away. The downside is sometimes you say you're a pastor and the conversation is just dead from that point on. And then they're like trying to avoid you <laughs> from, from that moment on. So the temptation in my mind sometimes is to be like, I work for a nonprofit, you know? Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm proud of what I do, say I'm a pastor and all that. The other challenge with, with being a pastor is finding circles to engage with people. Now, most of our time is spent home or at work. Well, everybody I work with is a Christian. I think. <laughs> There's a few people I'm still worried about. Uh, just joking. But uh, so we, we, have to, we have to find, put ourselves in an environment. So, so I started to be intentional with the, with the environments God has put me in outside and trying to find different places to engage with people. So for me, it's the gym. I go to the gym like five, six times a week, started engaging with people there. You can talk to desk workers, you can talk, I mean, desk workers at the gym, if you go to a gym somewhere, just start having conversations with them because they are bored, they have nothing else to do, and they'll stand there at the desk and talk to you for a long time. And so do that, you know. Um, thinking back to another uh, couple I had met at the gym that, that worked out together almost every day, started engaging with them in conversation. Of course, it gets down to the question, what do you do for a living? And this was several weeks of talking to them, so I'm like, oh, Lord, please help this to go over, okay? I wanna continue talking to these people. And so I said, I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, yeah, our neighbor's a pastor. He wears one of those little white collars, and he cusses and drinks all the time. I'm like, well, I'm a little bit different than that, but so we continued on the conversation, but conversation after conversation led to us having a 30-minute discussion about Jesus in the middle of a gym, 
floor when people are like lifting weights and grunting all around us, you know, but just having those discussions. Um, or another guy I had the chance to meet. When his daughter got in a car accident, he goes running out of the gym. I was able to follow him and go pray for him because I had a relationship there. So um, other things, uh, engineer's office. When I, was, when I was early on in college, I'd come home and I worked for a city engineer's office and spend all day in the truck with guys having conversations that led to some spiritual conversations. It's a missional community, a barbecue we had in our neighborhood. In Minnesota, we had three pastors in the same neighborhood. You didn't have a chance. <laughs> so we started a missional community and we invited our neighbors over for a barbecue with a chance just to get to know them, to build a relationship with them. It's uh, last summer, our free membership we got for the country club pool. It's going to the pool three or four times a week, getting to know the parents and people that were hanging out there after work, having those conversations. It's the Honda dealer, it's the 15 minute drive there and back that I had when I was getting my car worked on that I had a conversation with a guy and by the time I was done, I was able to encourage him and he said, hey, I never would have guessed you were a pastor. In, in kind of that compliment kind of way, like you're not as weird as I maybe thought you might have been. Um, or it's my wife working at the hotel front desk uh, with a guy who struggled with homosexuality and a bad view of Christians, but be, being able to share the, the love of Jesus with him without starting off from a place of judgment. Or it's, or it's our church back in Minnesota. We had a booth at Lake George. Lake George in, in St. Cloud, Minnesota, they put on this music festival every Wednesday night. 10,000 people show up to hear concerts and music. We set up a booth just to give away prizes. That was our only goal. And just to talk with people. And we talked to over 200 people in one night and had the opportunity to pray with 20 or 30 people. And so it's just, I want you to reflect on this. Here's just examples. But what, what, what could happen if you began to engage with the people God has placed in your life, the people around you. Because it's easy to disengage and do our own thing, right? To drop our kids off at the sporting event and just sit in the car or to pull into our garage and shut the door. And we're not talking about some massive shift. You don't have to go out of your way. The opportunities are right there in front of you. Your workplace, your school, the gym, kids' sporting events, recreational activities, pickleball, right? There are conversations happening out on the pickleball courts. Hobbies, neighbors, coffee shops, restaurants that you frequent. God has put people in your life. He has given you opportunity. Quit praying for it. Sometimes we spend all of our time just praying for the opportunities there. The hardest part is turning the corner and actually having a conversation with somebody and bringing Jesus up in conversation. But be intentional everywhere you go. Don't lead with, hi, my name's Matt. Did you know you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus? <laughs> That's weird. Okay, don't do that. No, build relationship first. Because we're often, we spend too much time just looking at our phones. If you stand in line somewhere, what's everybody doing? Looking at their phones. But listen to what they're saying. Start a conversation, listen, and when you listen, you may discover an opportunity. If you have an opportunity then, share your story. Simple as that. What your life was like before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what your life has been like since. And we can overcomplicate it sometimes, I think we need to take classes, and it drives me crazy sometimes when I hear of people who just started following Jesus, and they're like, oh, we have to get them all the theology before they can go share Jesus with their friends. No, just share their story, because that is the prime opportunity, because they're still engaged in those circles of people that are far from God, a prime opportunity for them to share the change that God has made in their life. And I think the fear 
that I hear from many people is, well, what if they asked me a question that I don't have the answer to? I'll just say, I don't know. <laughs> but Jesus has changed my life, and I believe he can change yours too. Just respond that way. Well, in order to influence our world of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to go. Are we intentionally engaging with lost people? Uh, it's about finding relationships and ways to share our story and not missing those opportunities that God has placed in front of us because we're what? We're on a mission. We exist to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So again, in order to influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to go. Because followers of Jesus follow Jesus, and Jesus is on a mission to seek and save the lost, so therefore spiritual maturity and growth are action-oriented. We go. We're on mission. Because we're tempted to measure spiritual maturity in lots of other ways, by how many Bible studies we go to, what our church attendance is like, how often we, we pray, how often we do our devotions, how many Christian books we're reading. But listen, I'm all for those things. That's not the point I'm trying to get at here. Uh, but oftentimes we evaluate how we're doing spiritually by our religious activity. And Jesus, it, it, he's concerned about the watering system, yes, but he's way more concerned about the fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's way more concerned about the fruit in our lives. And as we carry out the mission, what kind of fruit are we producing? Because followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And Jesus is on a mission to seek and save those who are lost. And again, the question is, are you? Because you have been called to the mission. And as a church, we get to live out this mission together. So love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's stand and let's pray as we close out this morning. God, we love you. I pray that we would grow deeper in our love for you, that we would grow deeper in our love for others that you have placed in our lives, that we would take advantage of opportunities that you have put before us and that you would use us in the most humble way possible, that you would use us to make a difference and an impact here in this community with those uh, people that you've placed in our circle. And so I pray that you would help us to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us, that we would live out the mission together and we would walk out of here today encouraged, challenged, changed, and different than how we came in. We love you. We're so grateful for what you've done for us that we celebrated last weekend. And we want others to get in on that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Our prayer team will be down front if you need prayer for anything. Uh, but just go. Live out the mission this week. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.